Well, we are in 1 Peter chapter 5 looking, we're bringing our study to a close today of this book. Hopefully this series has been beneficial to you. We're looking at 1 Peter 5 as we read verses 6 through 14 uh, today. <clears throat> Do you know the significance of February 1st? I'll give you a second to think about it. February, it's, it's not Groundhog's Day, that's February 2nd. It's not Valentine's Day, that's February 14th. It's not National Banana Bread Day, that's February 23rd. I know you all have that marked on your calendars. <laughs> now, the, the unofficial nickname for February 1st is National Quitters Day. The health and fitness company Strava, a couple years ago, they tracked 32 million of its users. And they took people who started an exercise routine on January 1st. And they tracked their, their, their routines and discovered that by February 1st, 80% of them had already stopped with their New Year's resolution. And so they nicknamed the day National Quitters Day. Well, I think all of us realize that starting stuff like exercise... Like that new diet, starting stuff is easy. It's finishing stuff. Boy, that's, that's what's hard. H how many books have you purchased? Man, I'm going to read this. But it went back on the shelf, unread. H how many do-it-yourself projects are laying around your house right now that you started, but you haven't yet finished? Everybody goes to class on the first day of the semester. But that last day of class, class is pretty thin. People start jobs and quit jobs. They even start marriages and quit marriages. And as, as odd as this may sound to our ears, some people even start Christianity only to quit Christianity. Now, I'm not saying that people lose their salvation I'm really just saying what Jesus said in the parable of the soils. Remember that? Jesus said there are some people who hear the, the word, they receive the word with joy. Right? They, they, they come to a church service like this or a Sunday school class or they meet someone that's a, a Christian and they hear the, the message of the good news. That a holy God has sent his righteous son to die for sinners so that those who repent and believe in him as the risen Lord can be saved. And they hear that news and think, wow, man, I need that. And they, they, they raise a hand, they walk an aisle, they, they pray a prayer, they say, I need to get up and get right and get wet, and they, they will go through the motions. But Jesus says, those people, what happens soon after is that when affliction or persecution arises, they immediately fall away. They start only to quit. How many people do you know like that? Some of you here as parents, you raised your kids in the faith only to now in heartache see them walk away from the faith. 
How many of you that maybe went to a Christian college, you now look and there's people from your dorm 10, 15, 20 years later, they're nowhere near to be found in the church. Maybe they've branded themselves as many today as ex-evangelicals. For some reason, it's a lot easier to sing the first line, I have decided to follow Jesus, than it is to sing the next line, no turning back. But that's the line that matters. And as we come to the last verses of 1 Peter chapter 5 today, the apostle, he doesn't want any of us to fall away. He doesn't want any of us to turn back. Rather, in these verses, the apostle is going to call each and every one of us to finish well. Peter's going to say in these verses, he's telling us that we should not quit on the faith. If you look ahead to what we read, verse 12, notice the last line there. He says, this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. These verses are a call to perseverance. They're a call to endurance. They are a call to finish well. And Peter is going to wrap up this book by reminding us that when times are tough, that's the time that many people want to throw in the towel. That's the time that many people want to walk away, but Peter says, no, no, that is the time more than any that we need to make sure that we stand firm. So, so how is it that we can stand firm in the grace of Christ and to finish well? Well, that's what we have here, four ways from Peter, four ways to finish well. First of all, Peter tells us in verses 6 and 7, number one, we must stay humble by refusing to worry. How can you finish well in the faith? Well, stay humble by refusing to worry. Notice verse 6, he says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Now notice in the text there, Peter ties verse 6 to verse 5. Do you see that? That very first word, therefore. So at the end of verse 5, which we saw last week, he quotes from Proverbs 3. And it says what? God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So Peter's going to tell us in these verses here, we need to stand in grace. So Proverbs says, God gives grace to the humble. And since Peter's going to say, stand in grace, he says, therefore, humble yourselves. He's reminding us that whenever we humble ourselves before God, it puts us directly in the crosshairs of grace. God works in and through those who are willing to have an honest evaluation of their own heart and their own life before God. He, he is, God works in those who are willing to apologize to confess their sins, to be vulnerable, to be honest. All of those things are hard to do. Why? Because they're humbling. But that's where God's grace works. Notice he says there, humble yourselves. Despite what some people seem to think, the Bible does not teach God helps those who help themselves. But what does it teach? It teaches that God helps those who humble themselves. And the humility here in verse 6 is about humbling ourselves, notice, before God. He says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. 
That, that's a, a description of God there. Of course, God doesn't have a hand. God's a spirit. But it's a, a way of referring to God's power, to God's control, or we might say God's sovereignty. Just go look at the Old Testament, how many things that happened from Egypt forward. It says it, it happened according to God's hand. I think Peter's reminding us that the trials of life, watch this, the hardships of life, those moments that make us feel small and vulnerable, those moments that make us feel helpless, Peter says, remember, those moments which humble you in your walk, they're not an accident. They're happening to you on God's watch. Understand, Peter says, Part of humbling yourself is accepting that the trials of life are even part of God's plan. That the same God who allows the trial is controlling the trial by His strong and powerful hand. And if He brought you to it, He can bring you through it. Therefore, humble yourself, Peter says. And we should do it, knowing. notice what he says next, knowing that He will exalt you at the proper time. Now, this may be in this life, but I think ultimately Peter's echoing what he has said earlier in the book, that there's coming a day of vindication. There's coming a day when we will be exalted. There's coming a day when all of the heartache and heartbreak will be taken care of. There's a day when Christ will return and every mountain will be flattened, every valley will be exalted, and every tear will be wiped away. He says there that the proper time is coming. Now's not the time to be exalted. Now's the time to be lowly before God and to humble yourself. So, so how do we do that? Well, he tells us in verse 7, by casting all your anxiety on Him. Now, that's not a separate command. Look at that closely. How do we humble ourselves before God? The answer, by casting your anxiety on Him. Notice Peter doesn't say godly people have no anxiety. Right? Sometimes we think that. What does he say? He says godly people know what to do with their anxiety. Godly people know where to unload their anxiety. It's not that they don't have cares, not that they don't have worries. It's that they know exactly what to do with it. And he says they cast them on him. Now let's be very clear about this. The Bible is quite clear that worry is a sin. It's not just a, a bad habit that we have. It's, it's something that's rooted in pride. Worry happens because we want to be in control of stuff. We want to control things by our mighty right hand. And when we can't do that and we get frustrated and we discover I'm not as omniscient or as omnipotent as I thought I was, <gasps> we start to worry. We start to get anxious because we want to be the one on the throne. And Peter says, no, 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 no. Don't, don't look down on God because that's what worry is. Worry is saying, God, you got this wrong. I, I can't handle this. But no, Peter says, understand, when, when the trials come, you're going to have anxiety. You're going to have those worries, but you need to cast them upon the Lord. Tim Keller beautifully says, either you are competent to handle everything in your life or God is. And you got to pick. You, you have to choose between those two. And Peter says we should cast our cares upon him. Why? Look at the end of verse 7. Because he cares for you. Can you think of four better words in the Bible than that? He cares for you. I thought about spending the rest of the sermon just saying those four words over and over. He cares 
cares for you. Listen, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, we're, we're glad that you're here. Listen to me closely. Here's what the gospel offers. We're not offering you a God who's a lifeless statue. We're not offering you a God who is a, an impersonal force. We're not offering you a God who's just some cosmic law over all things. We are offering to you, the gospel offers to you a God who cares for you and he has the scars to prove it. He has shown us his love and his care in sending his son. That he saw our mess that we got ourselves into and so, sees our anxieties and worries and says, he doesn't just say to us, well, clean up your act and maybe I'll care for you. No, he says, because I care for you, I'll come down there and clean up your act for you. And so because of his care, we can unload our anxieties on him. Peter says, cast your cares, cast your worries, cast your anxieties on him, and this is the act of humbling yourself before God. A while back, my daughter had a problem with her iPad, and she came over and said, Daddy, I can't get this game to work. And I said, all right. And so I said, well, did you try restarting it? And so she went off and come back a couple minutes later, and she was a nervous wreck. I restarted it, and it didn't work. And I said, okay, well, did you try deleting it and redownload? And she ran off, and she tried Then She came back, oh, Daddy, it didn't work. And I said, well, have you tried updating yours? And she came back, and Daddy, it didn't work. And she was just an absolute nervous mess. And I finally grabbed her by the hand, and I said, Faith, why don't you just leave it with Dad and see if I can fix it? And you could see this relief just wash over her. Isn't that what we do so often with our cares? We run to God, God, please fix this, take care of this, and then we run away still holding on to it. And we run back and we say, come on, God, please do something about this, and then we run away, we're holding on to it. Peter says, leave it in your father's lap. Humble yourself and admit, I can't handle this, but I know who can my friends, what is the thing that you're worrying about that you should be praying about? What is the thing that you're holding on to that you should be turning over to God? The thing that you think in your pride, I can handle this, I can grit this out, I can do this. And Peter says, be anxious for nothing. But, but as Paul says, right, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You, you want to finish well? then learn how to humble yourself when the trials and hardships come and don't just have a stiff upper lip and say, well, I can do it on my own. Humble yourself. In fact, if you remember the parable of the soils, Jesus talked about another soil. Do you remember what he said there? He says there's another kind of soil that when it sprouts up, he says what? That the worries of this world choke out the word so that it's unfruitful. I'm convinced that more people leave the faith not for intellectual problems, but emotional problems. They haven't learned how to truly abide in Christ and to cast their cares upon Him, and they feel like they have to do it on their own. That's not the call of the gospel. It is to humble ourselves, to humble ourselves by refusing to worry. So we stand in grace through humility. Number two, Peter tells us in verses 8 and 9, that we can also finish well by defying Satan. Number two, he says, defy Satan by keeping the faith. So humble yourself by refusing to worry. And then he says, defy Satan 
by keeping the faith. Where do I get this? Look at verse 8. He says, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Now, watch this. Verse 7 ends in such a way that you might say, well, Peter says we should be carefree. So, que sera, sera. Right? I'm not going to think about anything. I'm just going to sort of go to the extreme, and I'm not going to just I'm gonna sit back and relax, and whoo, I'm not going to... Peter says, no, 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 no. We, we can be carefree, but that doesn't mean we should be careless. So in verse 8, he says, be sober in spirit. Be on the alert. If you've kept up with the study, you know, Peter, this is the third time he's commanded this. I think he is remembering that night in the Garden of Gethsemane when what? He fell asleep. And Jesus said to him, be on the alert, watch and pray. Peter had failed in this and he knew how important it was. And so he, for the third time, impresses upon us, be sober in your faith. My friend, listen to me. Your spiritual life is in danger when you go on autopilot. When you decide just to go through the motions and just, well, I just sort of go to church and I just sort of do this and I, I, I work through this and kind of robotically, mindlessly, beep, 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 just do that. Peter says, no, you have to be engaged, heart, mind, soul, your whole body, alert. I was listening to a podcast a while back about a, a, a Green Beret in Vietnam and he talked about being in the jungles of Vietnam and he says, you know, the jungles, he says there were enemies all over the place and he said you could never see them but he said you had to sit there sometimes and concentrate and at times you could, before you could see them, you could smell them or you could, you could maybe just so small hear something. But he talked about how it took all of your senses to sit as still as possible and yet to focus and concentrate. That's what Peter says. To be vigilant and watchful and not just sort of, but be mindful, he says, that there is an enemy out there. Notice he says, because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Peter says we have an opponent, an enemy. And remember... The devil is not just against God, he is also against you. He is your adversary, Peter says. And he is prowling around, and Peter calls him like a roaring lion. If anybody wants you to quit on the faith, if anybody wants you to throw in the towel and walk away, it is the enemy, it is the devil. And he is looking for, for prey, he's looking for those that he can pounce on. By the way, why does he describe him here as a lion? That's kind of odd. He's always a serpent in most places in Scripture. I think Peter says what he says in verse 8 because of what he said previously in verse 2. Remember in verse 2, how does he describe us? We are what? Like sheep. Sheep are terrified of lions. They run when a lion comes around the corner. And so he says here, just in that same way as a sheep sees a lion as destructive and menacing, he says, our adversary, the devil, is prowling about seeking to devour. Listen to me closely. The devil, if you let your guard down, the devil is not showing up just to nibble on your toes. 
He's not just there to sniff you and walk away. He wants to swallow you in one gulp, Peter says. That's the language here. He's going to devour you and swallow you whole if you give him the opportunity. And there's a lot of people who start out well, but what? When the devil comes, when the trials come, when the warfare comes, they say, you know what? I, didn't, I don't want to be part of this, and their faith is devoured. So what do we do? Well, he says in verse 9, resist him firm in your faith. Listen to me closely. True spiritual warfare, all right, is not about rebuking the devil as much as it is resisting the devil. Go read your New Testament. In fact, Michael the archangel, Jude says, he didn't even rebuke the devil when he had the opportunity. He said, I'll let the Lord do that. So it's not about going around and rebuking the devil. It's about resisting the devil. It's a defensive posture. You ever read the children's book? Some of you read the children's book called uh, uh, We're Going on a Bear Hunt? You ever read that? It's a terrifying book if you think about it. This whole family goes off in the woods to find a bear, and spoiler alert, they they do find a bear uh, in in the end of it, right? Some people, when they think about spiritual warfare, they think that, that the Bible teaches that we're going on a lion hunt. That's not what Peter says. He doesn't say he's a lion, so so go stalk him. Go hunt him. No, he says, resist him. Stand firm, withstand him. It's a defensive posture, but it's an active posture. Resist him, notice, firm in your faith. So so how do you resist the devil? You you, you anchor yourself deeper and deeper in the faith, not just your own faith, but in the Christian faith, in the faith that God has given to us in his word. And he says you should do that knowing that the sufferings, excuse me, verse 9, the same experiences of suffering being accomplished by the brethren who are in the world. Some people think, boy, the devil's really after me. I must be doing something right. And they kind of take pride in it. Peter says, you're not special. He's after all of us. In fact, there are some, it's interesting how he describes this. He says here, by your brethren who are in the world, there are those who say, boy, the devil is sure out to get America. He's out to get anywhere churches and Christians exist. Remember Job 1? God says, where you been, devil? And he says, I've been roaming about the whole earth. He's not looking at international borders to decide what to do. Wherever there is salt and light, he is there to snuff out the light. He's looking to devour, he says. And so understand, he says, that just relocating is not going to fix it. Just moving somewhere is not going to change it. In fact, it might make it worse in some respects. So Peter says, stand firm because the devil, he doesn't just want you, he doesn't want you to, to, to stand there. He wants your knees to wobble. He wants you to walk away. He wants you to be scared and run from the faith. My friends, listen to me closely. The devil follows those who follow Christ. So the only way to get away from this is to abandon the faith. It's to leave Jesus. And the more closely that we follow Christ, the more closely the devil will be on our tail to come after us, so we must keep the faith. You you, want to fight the devil today? You ready for this? You want to fight the devil today? Go 
memorize the Apostles' Creed. You say, what? That's what he says. Resist him by what? Getting firmer in the faith. Right? Better understanding what it is to follow. You want to go fight the devil today? Spend the rest of the day singing to yourself the praise songs, the old hymns that we sang this morning. Because you are getting deeper by meditating on the things of the faith. So he says you keep the faith, you encourage others in the faith, and by this we ultimately defy Satan. There are those around us who get distracted and they hear the devil's roar and they wander off, they get scared. Peter says, don't be scared. Hold up the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit. You be ready, he says, to stand your ground when the devil shows up. Number three, Peter gives us in verses 10 and 11, the third way in which we can finish well is by, he says, number three, trust God by remembering the end. So we defy Satan by keeping the faith, but we also trust God by remembering the end. You say, how do you remember? Well, look at what Peter says. Look at verse 10. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, Peter doesn't use the word trust. I'll admit that, but I think he's implying this idea of trust. He's saying, remember what, what, what's happening here. He says, after you have suffered for a little while. Again, this is Peter's main theme in the whole book, when times are tough, when suffering comes. So far in the book, Peter's told us that suffering is ordinary and that suffering is necessary. Now he says suffering is temporary. It's for a little while. You say, well, well preacher, I've been, I've been dealing with this, this hardship, this suffering for years or maybe decades. Listen, a hundred years of suffering is still a little while compared to eternity. So Peter is saying, put the hardship, the trial, put it into perspective of the bigger picture of what's going on. Peter says to think of the present, the suffering right now, in light of the future. Put your trials into perspective. He says, because the God of all grace has called you to something. Now, notice that phrase there, the God of all grace. Listen to me, can I just remind God is not just the God of some grace or the God of most grace. He is the God of all grace. I, I don't know what you're going through, but some of you are going through parenting trials. Listen, God has grace for parents. You're going through... Trials as a single person, God has grace for single people. You're going through marital issues, God has grace for, for men and women in marriage. Jobs, he has grace for that. He, personal temptations, he has grace for that. He is the Amazon of grace, okay? Whatever you need, he's got it. He's the God of all grace. So, so trust him, Peter says. And notice, trust what? The fact that he has called you to his eternal glory. So, Again, I love how Peter says this. He says, you're suffering right now in the present, so remember what God's going to do in the future because of what you, you knew he did in the past. He called you, and now you're suffering, but he's going to bring you somewhere in the future. So you've got to trust and understand the, the whole thing of what God is ultimately doing. 
You see, when we go through trials, many of us, are, we immediately think, uh-oh, the devil's up to something. We think, uh-oh, the, the, the flesh is up to something. We think, uh-oh, the, the world, the culture around us, they're up to something. And all of that may be true, but Peter says, don't forget, God is also up to something. He's doing something through those trials, through those hardships. He called you, and he's brought you where you are. He can bring you to the eternal glory just as sure as he brought you to the temporary suffering, Peter says. Keep it all into perspective as you go through this. Peter says the same God who called you, look at the end of verse 10, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. In other words, we can trust the Lord because whatever God starts, God finishes. Don't lose sight of that, Peter says. If you want it in theological terms, God's calling is not ineffectual, or better yet, it is effectual. Those whom he predestined, Romans 8, he also called, and those whom he called, he justified, and those whom he justified, he has glorified. So if he has called you in God's timeline, you're as good as glorified. It's done, he says. So the trial you're going through, does it's not the end of the story. There's eternal glory that awaits you on the other end. You say, boy, that's a great verse in Romans. You think that's good. Listen to the rest of it. Paul then says, what shall we say then? If God is for us, who can be against us? And so he says here, don't let the trials, and he goes on, talks about trouble, tribulations, nakedness, peril, sword, famine, the heights, deaths, all those things. None of those things can separate you from what God is doing. So trust him, Peter says. Peter says we are not quitters because God's not a quitter. What God starts, God finishes. And that's why he says in 11, to him be dominion forever and ever Amen. My, my oldest boys and I have challenged my wife and I to something this summer. We are watching, we are watching all of the Marvel, Marvel movies, if you know the comic book movies. Uh, I'd really, I've seen maybe one or two. She hasn't seen any of them, so my, our boys are always into our oldest boys. So we said, all right, we'll watch them together. There's, if you don't know, there's like 20-something of these movies, okay? There's a lot of movies, all right? And, and so... And, and I, I have trained them too well. My boys are doing to me with the movie what I do to them with sermons. Like when I get down with sermons at home, I go, what did you think? What did you learn? So when we watch the movies, they go, all right, Dad, what did you think? What did you, like they, they grill me afterwards. So when we talk about these movies, every one, I've, I've enjoyed them by the way, but every one I go, yeah, you know, I didn't really like, I didn't like that scene. Or I didn't like that that little dialogue or that character I didn't really like her or sometimes I go I didn't really understand because there's a lot I didn't really understand what was going on there and I'll say that stuff and my boys will look at each other because they've seen them all they'll go dad just wait <laughs> and so I okay that right is that is that not sort of what Peter's saying you go through seasons, little scenes in your life, and you go, I, I don't like this. I don't even understand this. And Peter says, brothers and sisters, just wait. Hang tight. He's not done, so trust him. 
Don't fall away. Don't quit, but, but hang in there. He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. There's a fourth and final reminder here. We'll be brief, verses 12 to 14. Number four, he tells us, be strong by standing together. Be strong by standing together. Peter's signing off here. This is kind of the, just the, the ending salutations here. But notice what he says. Through Selvanus, our faithful brother, so I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying, watch this, that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Stand firm. So what is the true grace of God? I think he's saying this letter is the true grace of God. So stand firm in the lessons that I've given to you in the example of Christ. I wish I had time. I don't. I could go back through the entire book of 1 Peter and show you that in order to do everything he's told us to do, we need to stand in grace. If you want a one-sentence summary for the whole book, there it is. Stand firm in God's grace. And so Peter says, make sure that you do that. But, but notice how we do it at the very end here. It's really interesting. He starts by talking about Sylvanus or Silas, and he calls him a faithful brother. Silas was, it says this letter came through him. So either Silas was the secretary who wrote it for Peter, or he was the mailman that delivered it for Peter. Either way, he's saying here, he's a good brother, you, you trust him. They probably had never met him, and he shows up with a letter and goes, hey, this is from, from Peter, and they go, who are you? And so at the very end of the letter, it says, he's a faithful brother, it's okay, you, you can accept him. He then says in 13, she who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings. Now, this was a code word, most likely. The she is probably not a person, but a reference to the church. And when, so he says that she, or the church who is in Babylon, Babylon there didn't exist like the ancient city. So most likely, Babylon here is a reference to Rome. Right? We say that apple pie and baseball are American. Well, guess what? Paganism and blasphemy was Babylonian. Well, guess what the center of paganism and blasphemy was in Peter's day? It was Rome. So when he says that the church in Rome greets you, that's really a startling statement because why? Because they are sitting, there's a church still meeting under the shadow of Nero's bloody throne. And they're still standing firm in grace. And they're still around. And they're writing these who are hundreds of miles away and saying, hey, you guys, we're standing firm. You guys keep standing firm. He speaks of Mark at the end of verse 13. This is John Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark. He and Paul had a falling out, but apparently he and Peter were patching things together, and later he and Paul do as well, and they were together. Verse 14, he says, Greet one another with a kiss of love. That's the perfect Sunday when we take our masks off to tell everybody, greet each other with a kiss of, a kiss of love. Some cultures bow, some shake hands, some do fist bumps. This was a, a way of greeting each other in that sense. But notice, if you remember, Paul talks about this, but Paul calls it a, a, a holy kiss. Look at what Peter calls it. He calls it a love kiss. Now, that's not sexual. That's a reference. Chances are, even if you're not touchy-feely, you know who you probably do kiss? Your relatives. Grandma, aunts and uncles, maybe nieces. And it's a, it, it, it was a symbol of greeting, of affection for family. And so he's saying there in all of this, Greet one another. So, so, and, and he says in verse 14, Peace be to you all who are in Christ. I know this seems random, but look at those, those few verses closely. What's Peter saying there? 
by throwing in those names and throwing in those places, Peter's reminding us if we are going to stand strong, we must stand together. Do you see that? We must stand together. He's telling us that, that Peter needed Silas. Mark needed Peter. Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia, they needed Rome. Brothers need sisters and sisters need brothers. Family members need each other. And Peter says, we need each other if we're going to stand firm in grace. I'm telling you, 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 you want to you you walk away from the faith? Walk away from the church. It's going to happen. I know right now the, the big vaccination discussion, what's one of the, 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 the buzz phrases right now we're all hearing? Herd immunity. Right? That, that in a herd there is protection, even for the vulnerable, because of what the herd provides that maybe the, the, the weaker ones don't have. Peter's saying we, we need spiritual herd immunity. That we all need to stand in grace. Some will stand stronger than others, but those that are weak, they need those that are stronger to stand with them. And some of us are like, Peter, guess what? We need to find the John Marks and help them stand in grace. Some of us are are maybe over here, we're Silas. We need to partner with the Peters and do the work so that together we can stand in grace. There's an old African proverb that says, if you want to go quickly, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. That's what Peter says. Peter says that we can be strong. We can finish well if we stand together with each other. Brothers and sisters, I know some of you feel tired. You feel overwhelmed. This last year has ground you down. It's been taxing. It's been difficult. Listen to me quickly. Peter says, don't quit. Don't quit. Stand firm in grace because the same grace of God that enabled you to start this thing, that same grace can enable you to finish this thing. My friends, finish well in the faith and in that stand firm in His grace. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your Word today. We thank You for these closing verses of 1 Peter 5 that that really do challenge us and remind us of how we can persevere. And Lord, I pray for everyone in this room. We know those trials. We know those feelings, those temptations to wander. As that old hymn says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Lord, help us to to not wander, but stand firm. And Lord, help us to have eyes and ears towards those around us who are drifting. May we go after them. May we find the sheep that's wandered so that together, as your flock, we can finish well. Thank you for your grace that saved us. May your grace now enable us to persevere to the end. For it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.